Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Amen. So Luke chapter 18. Today, we're going to close out our series on virtues, and we're going to focus on the virtue of justice. As we've been speaking about the virtues, I pray that they haven't been concepts just for the mind only, but I pray that they've gone into your heart, gotten into your life, integrated into your, your uh, reactions and actions, because they're not virtues just for others or just for Jesus. They're virtues from Jesus for his people. Amen? So we went through the virtue of faith and truth and humility. We talked about prudence and wise decision-making. We talked about courage. We talked about sacrifice. And today, I want to talk to you about the virtue of courage. Sorry. Justice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got about two hours total on the remnant retreat, so if I say anything crazy, come on, man, that was a good retreat, wasn't it? That was awesome. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Couldn't have been better. I think Watson and the team, you guys did an amazing job setting it up, amazing worship and anointing oil, and it was so powerful, and what Pastor brought was really a word I don't think I've ever heard anything like it in my life. It was sobering and powerful, and so I'm thankful that the men of the house are being built up. And I want to thank the wives for allowing the men to, to go. I know that's a lot of work for you and, you know, running the household and everything, so I'm thankful that you kicked them out of the house for a night. And I got to tell you, I heard the snoring. I, I just got to, I heard it. It was like a symphony of snoring. And I think, wives, you have another jewel in your crown in heaven. And people are going to be like, how did you earn that jewel? It's like, I slept next to this dude. I, and his incessant, I, I don't know, if, maybe we got to cast some demons out of snoring. Okay, it's too far, too far. I'm joking, I'm joking. But seriously, get help, guys. So Matt, Luke, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. We're going to read the parable of the persistent widow. Will you stand with me one more time? I know we've stood quite a bit, but I think it's powerful when we stand, we read, we dedicate our mind to the word of God. Luke chapter 18, verse, we're going to go through 1 through 8. And the Bible says this. And he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they, would always, that, 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 that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I'm thankful that God does not desire for you to be distressed and frustrated, but that you would never lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? One more verse I want to read to you. You can put it up on the screen. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And it says this, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and wages war. With justice, he judges 
and wages war. Some people with power, they judge through the lens of bitterness. Some people with power, they judge through the lens of fear. Some people with power judge through the lens of corruption. Yet our God, who has all power and all authority and all finality in eternity, when he arrives, this time not on a donkey, lowly and humble, but on a white horse with fire in his eyes, his robe dripped in blood and a name written on himself that only he knows, the one who's called faithful and true, when he wages a righteous war on our behalf, he judges with justice. He's a good God. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for his goodness. And so, Lord, right now we ask for you to come and speak, God. God, the same God that came and died for us, the same God that will come again and resurrect us, God. We ask for you to speak to your people and we give you this holy place, your house, your people, our minds and our hearts, God. God, no doubt, no shadow, no distraction in this moment, but only your spirit to come upon your people, that we might be free. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You can have a seat. God bless you. Today, I want to speak to you about how through prayer, we petition Almighty God to release His justice on our behalf. Through prayer, we have the opportunity to petition Almighty God to release his justice on our behalf. Because the truth is, you will go through situations, times, and relationships in life where you will seek justice. And the earth right now, people all over the earth are searching for justice. The problem is they are searching amongst places and people that do not have the ability nor the authority to release justice. Because the reality is, the source of all true justice on earth and eternity is Christ Jesus. He rules with an iron scepter. He sits upon the throne of God. He is the source, the alpha omega, beginning and end, author and finisher. He is our justice. And in him alone will we find justice, the thing that our heart yearns for, that we know is right and we know should be ours. And today I want to examine the relationship between Jesus and justice and prayer. And I came to tell you something today. And it's a statement that I feel that God put on my heart for you specifically here on Sunday morning. That you need to know this. That God is not unjust. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Say, God is not unjust. Maybe for some of you that was even difficult to say. But through the rest of this sermon, I want to prove it not just to your mind, but to your spirit, this truth. God is not unjust. And at the end of time, he will balance all of the scales. The small to the large, from families to nations, from situations all the way through to national, international decisions. He will judge all of the kings, all of the priests, and all of the people. And he will balance the scales. God is not unjust. Proverbs says this in 1611. It says a just balance and scales are the Lord's. And all the weights in the bag are his work. In other words, that God holds the scale of justice in his hand. And that the weights that are used are not 
of the enemy. They are not corrupted, that God holds both. And this is good news, because though the enemy will try to put his finger on the scale, though there will always be accusation, some of them even containing truth that will come against you from the enemy, make no mistake, God holds the scales of justice in his hand, and he will weight them properly. He is the judge, he is the jury, he is the executioner, he is the advocate, he is all in all, and he is good, and he is holy, and God is just. You might even be tempted to question God and question yourself and, and, and say things like, what, what if it seems like they got away with it? But I'm here to tell you, That God is not unjust. That God does not turn a blind eye to the injustice, the insecurity, the oppression, the things that happen to you. God sees, God knows, and God has not taken his hand off his scales. So if you have been failed by law, if you have been failed by country, if you have been failed by family, know this, you have not been failed by God Almighty. He holds the weights. You might say, well, what if my expectations are unfulfilled? What my hopes were, what my dreams were, what my vision was did not come to pass. And maybe you'll even get to the end of your life, nearing the end, and say, but what I hoped for was not fulfilled. Can I tell you the truth? And yet, God is still not unjust. God is still righteous. God is still holy. And our hopes and our dreams and our visions, though good, are not God. We surrender and we submit and we tell ourselves and proclaim that God is not unjust. And and you might find yourself in situations where you'll you'll say to yourself, "What, what if others don't understand? What if nobody else gets it? What if nobody else has seen, could possibly know all that I have gone through? Can I tell you that God has seen, that God understands, that God knows? And here's the best part that God is not unjust. God will pay you back a thousand times. God will bless to a thousand generations. God will give mercy and mercy and mercy again to his people that call upon his name. God, hear me, is not unjust. He knows. He sees. And in the end, he is the judge of all things. I recently saw a a video of this this guy in a fishing competition. I don't normally watch fishing competitions. It's like golf, it's just not for me, you know? But the almighty algorithm brought it my way, and so, you know, when YouTube tells you, you know, you you gotta click on those things, like, you know me better than I know myself, it seems, and I watched this video of this guy that was in a fishing competition, and he was waiting the fish. And these people apparently have had rumblings of cheating in the past, and, and they won this competition with a massive purse and a high-level buy-in, and, and all of a sudden, uh, they found that his fish had these lead weights that he dropped inside them after they caught the fish. And, and it came out when it was time for weigh-in. In front of every other fisherman, in front of everybody, the judge reaches into the fish's mouth and pulls out a weight, and he holds it up. And the crowd goes ballistic. People start saying, we knew it. (laughs) And the next fish, the judge cuts it, pulls out 
a lead weight. And, and, and all the while, while this is happening, the man with the unjust weights and the unjust scales and the hidden things had to stand there. And he had to be judged not just by the judge, but by everyone else as well. And I want you to know today that there is nothing hidden from the Lord that God sees all things, that God knows all things. And the Bible says that in the end of times, God will reveal all things, even the heart, the motive, and intent, that every single thing we do will have to be put on the altar and tried by fire to see the quality of its work. God does not turn a blind eye to evil. God does not forget. God will hold up things as a righteous judge. And I thank God for us because we are covered by the blood. I thank God that we have received mercy. But please hear me. There is no injustice within God. He holds both within himself, fully just and fully merciful by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And he will not let the scales be unbalanced. He will reveal because he knows. God knows your experiences. God knows what you've gone through. He knows the heart. He knows the intent. And he chooses to judge righteously. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. That's a powerful statement. My conscience is clear, but I'm not the judge. My conscience is not God. This is so powerful. Because we think if my conscience is clear, I'm right. But Paul says, not necessarily. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. You think you know what's going on? You don't know. We have no clue how God is going to come down in this situation. So make sure you live that way. This is what I think, but we're about to find out. Wait until the Lord comes and he will bring light. He will bring light. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart. I'm here to tell you today, God is not unjust. He knows all things, sees all things and rules rightly. So we, as his people, we choose him and his judgment over our own sense our own rightness, or even our own conscience. And so Paul says, so wait until judgment comes before you begin to make all of your own judgments. Okay, so then what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What do we do as we await God's righteous judgment? I would propose to you that what we do in the meantime is that we pray. It's that we pray. It's like when when in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did God say? He says, will you wait with me in this meantime, and will you pray? Will you stay wide awake? I think about the, the ten virgins awaiting the bride, bride coming. Some didn't have oil, but others were prepared. What is oil? That, that's expectation, worship, and prayer. You know, and what we do in the meantime is we pray. Why? Because prayer invokes the justice of the Lord. Prayer invokes the justice of the Lord. This is what Jesus is telling us through this parable. He tells us of this woman who's a poor woman, a widow, She has absolutely nothing to give. No bribe to bring, no way to sway the court, no importance, no family. And then he tells us of a judge who fears neither God nor man, which means he is outside the ability to be swayed. There is nothing that can sway this judge. This woman can offer nothing, and this judge cannot be swayed. And yet God gives us a key. He gives us a secret on what to do. And he says, there was this widow in the city who kept coming to him. 
just kept coming because the continual, consistent petition always gets the attention of heaven. Just keep coming before the Lord. You say, well, I've prayed for three months. I've prayed for three years. Can I tell you, if you prayed for 3,000 years, it is what it is, but just keep coming. Because a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. God exists outside of time. So that aside, just keep coming. Keep fasting, keep praying, keep asking. And I want you to please see the simplicity throughout this whole parable of what it takes. It, she just, what did she do? She just kept showing up. Seriously, that's all she had to do, just keep showing up. Because I think sometimes we want to make Christianity so mystical it's beyond comprehension. But Jesus says, let me tell you how to not lose heart. Let me tell you how to not give up. Let me tell you how to make it through. Let me tell you how to be faithful. Ready? Just keep showing up. She said, there's no way. There's got to be something greater. Is there a chant? Is there a prayer? Is there a mantra? Is there a guru? Because it can't be that simple. And yet God says, this is how it works. This is how heaven works. Just keep showing up. I think one of the greatest testimonies you could ever provide for your children and you could ever provide for the world is your testimony of faithfulness, that you just keep showing up. I think it's an amazing thing when people who maybe have moved and come back to, to the church when they visit after many years or sometimes when people even backslide and they'll come back on a Sunday morning, I think one of the most powerful testimonies they could ever see is not my sermon and not our worship and not the altar, as powerful those things are, but to see the testimony of people that were there when they were here still here. When they see people and they say, you're still here? What? What a powerful testimony. I, I celebrate those that have been to the church five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. It's so powerful and it gets the attention of heaven. And make no mistake, it's a mighty witness. What did this widow do? She just kept showing up. And God says, watch, watch how this works. I wonder, I wonder if we have lost sight of how powerful our continual coming before God really is. I wonder if we maybe have missed what we have available to us. And we've maybe never accessed all that God has given to us simply because we've never asked. Never showed up and asked. She just kept coming and she just kept asking. I wonder what we have had available to us that we've never accessed simply because we've never asked. The reality all of heaven is waiting, but God says, but you've got to play your part. You've got to ask. And could you imagine if you had a massive inheritance, a long-lost great-uncle you've never met, and all of a sudden, he gives to you one million dollars. And, and you think, oh, this is, oh, this is life. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is. <laughs> can, I tell, can I tell you, even if he gave it to you but you didn't know, it would be worthless. It would be as if you didn't get it. Even if he gave it to you but you never asked. You never went to the bank and said, can you transfer those funds from your, your account to my account? If you didn't ask, you would never receive the resources. The bank's not going to call you up and say, hey, good news, baby. I see that you have a lot of Amazon transactions. Oh, that's your wife. Yeah, okay. So did you know? I want to get in trouble for that one. Did you know? 
The bank's not going to say, did you know you have a million dollars? Would you like, I'll just do all the work for you. No, you have to come down. You have to stand before the teller. You have to give them your identity, prove your ownership, and ask for the resources to be released. I want you to know your father in heaven is greater than any great uncle, greater than any inheritance, and he will give you the whole world, but you've got to ask. You've got to come before the judge and make no mistake, because of Jesus, we do now have access to the throne of grace, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need, and we can ask for God who loves and will give liberally to all, but you have got to simply ask. We have access, but only if we ask. It's as simple as that. James says it in, in James 4 too. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And what is prayer? It's coming before the king and saying, Lord, will you release justice in this area? Will you change things in this area? Will you resource in this area? Will you help in this area? Because I am a son. I am a daughter. I am a co-heir with Christ, the ruler of the universe. But you've got to ask. And the woman came. She kept coming. And then the Bible says she asked of the judge, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice. I made it through my entire sermon last service without saying, Don Corleone, give me justice. But I couldn't make it through this sermon. I just got to get it out of the way. Give me justice against my adversary. There's three things I see from this very simple statement that I believe can, can change your life, that I think that God wants to show you. Three simple observations. The first is that she knows her adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. First, she knows her adversary. You have to understand there is a war and you're in it. There is a battle, and it is against you. There is an enemy, and he hates you, and he hates your children, and he hates your home. And I want you to know this, not to scare you. He does know you by name, and he does have plans for you, and they are against you. But so God has plans for you, and they are to prosper you and not to harm you. They are to give you a hope, and they are to give you a future. Thank God that he's the judge. So the enemy accuses, but he can only accuse before the judge. So you need to go before the judge as well and say, will you give me justice against my adversary? I know what my adversary is. And I say that to say you do have to name it. You have to name it. This is what's coming against me. This is what's coming for my children. This is what's bothering me. This is it by name. Because your adversary will always either be a spirit, a situation, or yourself. And sometimes you are your worst adversary. And that's why you have to present yourself as a living sacrifice before the Lord. You've got to know which one of the three. Is this a spirit? Is this a situation that the enemy is using? Or a situation that maybe is even unclaimed by your authority and by God's authority? Or is it yourself, your own habits, your own foolish decisions, your own mistakes, your own sin, your own failure? What is it? But you do have to name it and present it before the judge. Now, the problem I think sometimes here is that we don't know exactly sometimes what it is that's our adversary. We know, we feel, we can maybe sense there's difficulty, but a lot of times we allow it to stay vague. And then we pray vague prayers. God, help me. Just help. And God's like, all right. With what? (laughs) 
And I'm here to tell you, vague prayers get vague answers because God answers specific prayers. You have to unlock. Jesus says, whatever you bind, whatever you loose will be bound, will be loose. But you got to name it. What are you binding? What are you loosing? This is how it works. You have to name it. And, and, and make no mistake, God will help you if you will ask. Say, God, I feel this way. I sense something, but I don't even know what it is. Sometimes you ask, have to ask God what it is so that you can present it to God because he has authority over it. I, I see it almost like, like God will bring you before a lineup. Okay, tell me what it is. So you have, like the usual suspects, he'll bring the lineup. And they'll, they'll be standing there, these spirits. Here's the spirit of depression. God says, name yourself. Depression. Next, anxiety. Next, violence. Next, fear. They have to line up. And God will say to you, which one is it? Which one is it? And you say, God, I think I know what this is. I have a spirit of fear. I'm afraid of people's opinion. I'm afraid of what might happen. I'm afraid of the future. And God says, name it. Bring it before the judge. Tell him, this is my adversary. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I revoke and reverse its authority in my life by the power and the blood of the name of Jesus Christ. He died to give you authority over every spiritual thing. So we pull down strongholds. We pull down fortresses by the name of Jesus Christ. Our battle is not against people, not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. So name it. And you might say, well, I don't know what it is. I got good news for you. God has given you an advocate on your side of the courtroom. He's the judge, but he says, but it's better that I go because you need an advocate. It's a, para, it's, a, uh, it's a paraclete. It's a, it's a Holy Spirit. He comes alongside you. And, and, and if you don't know what it is, say, Holy Spirit, what is it that's, that I'm, what's on the other side of this courtroom? You know, the whole thing's tilted in your favor, I got to tell you. It's unfair for the enemy, but it's all good for you. God will say, hold on, we t the court's taking a recess. I want to see all of you. Accuser and advocate come into the back chambers. And God speaks to the enemy like he did with Job. And God says, well, I want this and this and this. And God says, oh, well, I'm in charge. It doesn't matter what you want. I set the limits. But then he'll say to the Holy Spirit, tell my son or daughter what it is he's facing. And then he says, adjourn, go back. The Holy Spirit will tell you, you might be in the shower, you might be driving, you might be in, in the car, you might be with your kids. You might, and all of a sudden, in a moment of prayer, you, where you realize, that's what this is. I didn't know. I was facing a spirit of anxiety. I thought I was just overwhelmed. I've just been saying I'm, I'm tired. I've just been saying I'm nervous. I've just been saying, but it's a spirit of anxiety. Oh, well, now I've got the authority. And I go before the judge and I name the adversary. Lord, it's him. It's anxiety. So I curse the spirit of anxiety. I revoke its access over my mind. I claim the blood of Jesus. I deny its door to my children. I kick it out of my home. It does not get to have me. I am under the blood of Jesus. It's the most powerful thing in the world. The name of Jesus.
So you not only have to know your adversary, you also have to know who's the greater authority over your adversary. And so we find this woman, I love this, appealed to the greater authority. She comes to the judge. You have an adversary, but this isn't something to wail and to be afraid of and to give up on life just because you have an adversary. There's still a judge. And you come to the judge that's not swayed by anything but himself. And you ask, you appeal to heaven. You appeal to a greater authority. And you ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Never forget, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There is power in the name of Jesus. The enemy will do whatever he can to get you to not say the name of Jesus, but I'd rather die than not say the name of Jesus. He is the son of the living God. He is the Christ. He is the way maker. He is the lamb and the blood, the sacrifice and the altar. He is it all. It is the name of Jesus. Please hear me. That name is the most powerful thing in the universe. At that name, every knee, not some, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every nation, every king, every tyrant, Every authority will take off their crown and throw it at his feet because his name is more powerful than any adversary. It is under the authority of his name that in the end of times, your adversary will be chained up and thrown into a pit for a thousand generations. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just say the name of Jesus. Say Jesus. Come on, say it again. Say Jesus. Say it again. Say Jesus. When you come under a spiritual attack, say the name of Jesus. I don't care if it's in your dreams. The name of Jesus will work in your dreams. It will work in your dreams. I don't care if it's in your worst or last hour. Say the name of Jesus. You know, even if it is in your last hour, the name of Jesus might make it not be your last hour. Let his name forever be on your lips. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our exaltation. And so today I'm, I'm asking you to invoke the name. Don't just say the name. Invoke the name. This is why God in the Ten Commandments said, first and foremost, right off the bat, do not take my name in vain. You say, why God? It's too powerful. It's way too powerful. It's too holy. It's too sacred. It's too eternal. So don't use it lightly. Don't use it lightly because there's going to come time where you will need it. And that's the time where you say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, take up your bed and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you better flee from this place. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I claim my children. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I claim this home. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. <laughs> Philippians 2.9 says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above Every other name. I don't care who's in the lineup. It could be Lucifer himself. His name is below the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And make no mistake, you serve a superior kingdom. You serve the kingdom of light, and darkness cannot, will not, shall not overcome it in the name of Jesus Christ.
Come on, just thank the Lord. Say the name of Jesus. We thank you for his name. God, we thank you for his authority. We honor the name of Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus. We praise the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. She calls out her adversary. She appeals to a greater authority. And then she demands justice. She comes before the judge and says, do what is right, Lord. I want you to know it is always God's desire to do what is right, but we must demand it. It's always his desire to move on our behalf, but we must demand it. We must cry out. When Moses was on the backside of the desert in the wilderness, 40 years on his own, God had not forgotten him. And God had not forgotten his people, the people of Israel. And Moses had an experience with the living God. The bush was burning and yet not consumed. And a voice came out of the burning bush and said, Moses, Moses, began to call him by name. And, and he said this. He says, the cry of the people of Israel have reached my ears. I've seen their oppression. I've seen their bondage. I've seen their slavery. But yet they have, they have appealed to a greater authority. I want you to know God will never, ever turn a deaf ear to the cry of his children. And God comes to Moses to say, I've heard them appeal to a greater authority. At that time, there was no authority on earth. Never, ever has anyone seen anything like Egypt. To this day, we're astonished at the authority, the power, the buildings, the might that they had. And yet, just a voice from a bush is greater than the greatest Pharaoh of Egypt. There is nothing that can stand against you if God himself is for you. He is greater but you have to demand justice from God. She comes before the, the Lord and she says, give me justice against my adversary. This is what you have to ask for. My dad has a great illustration that he, he loves to use and, and, and it's so powerful and I think right in this moment, but he, he, he likes to say, if your son, my son Judah, was being bullied, and every day I just tried to say to him, like, you know, just, just, you know, try and get along with him. Just work on it. You know, just run away. Make sure there's six feet distance. You know, just deal with it. You know, no big deal. But every day he came back with another black eye or another scratch. It kept getting pushed. And I wrote some letters to the teacher. I don't know if you're aware. But it kept going on. Eventually, righteous indignation would rise in the heart of the father. Eventually, righteous indignation would rise in the heart of the protector. And he said, and you would go into the principal's office and you'd slam your hand on the desk and say, you are in charge of protecting this child. There needs to be justice. Because justice always protects the innocent. And so God is waiting for the fathers and mothers to walk in and say, God, we've had enough. We demand justice. And it's not presumptuous because you've asked us to demand justice. You've already given us the law. You've already given us the promises. And so we're bringing your words back to you. Let there be justice on behalf of the innocent and boundaries, recompense against those that would attempt to bully, attempt to badger, attempt to, to frustrate attempt to terrify. These things are not of God. And we have to come before God like we're in a court, courtroom where the word of God is the law and God is the judge. 
And this is how God set it up. And he's saying to us, present your case. Present your case. And what he wants you to do is give the law back to the judge so that he might judge rightly in accordance with the law. This is the law of God, and it's holy. So what I'm saying is the most powerful prayers are the promises of Scripture proclaimed back to its originator. That's the most powerful prayers. This is why you have to know the Word of God. Because our prayers get vague. But the Word of God is specific. It's holy. It gets the attention of the one that wrote it. I don't know about you, but I've heard some prayers where people just quote Scripture. And it just awakens something in your heart. You say, what is this? Who is this prophet? Look at this man of God. No, it's just scripture back to God. And God loves it. It gets the attention of his throne. She demands justice. And and, and let me tell you the secret. The secret is, (laughs) this is this is a spiritual secret. Are you ready? God loves to prove his word true. He loves it. He wrote it. He gave it to us. And he says, hey, hey, give me a chance to prove it true. My question for you today, as we begin to to close, is are there any areas in your life, in your home, in your surroundings, that God desires for justice to be demanded from you? This widow has nothing. The judge has everything. But God says, but if you just will demand and keep demanding... It will move the heart of this unrighteous judge. How much more a righteous one? Is there any area of your life where God is asking for you to pray, asking for you to ask, asking for you to come before the throne and say, here, God, will you move on my behalf? Because I can't do it and I need your help. I just want you to pause for a moment and just consider. Is there any area where God's waiting for you to ask for him, to come before the judge, to plead your case again. The unrighteous judge says, I'm going to give her justice so she'll stop bothering me. But no, you're never a bother to your father. How much better is he? But will you ask? When I consider our nation, I think God is waiting for the Christians to ask for justice. Not the unrighteous. They don't even know what justice is. They don't even know that they should ask, that they could ask. But God's waiting for the church. Are you done trying to be relevant? Are you done trying to be cool? Because we need you to be spiritual. We need you to come before the judge. They don't even know how to come before the judge. The atheists, the lost, the wayward, they don't even know. But even if you were under Pharaoh himself, if you cry out, my ears will hear it. And I pray that the church will return to its rightful place of demanding justice from a holy God. Lord, let your justice roll down the mountains into your nation, God. God, may it flow like a river into your people, God. Our nation is struggling with a level of corruption not seen in so long. You say, what is happening Well, only the church can come before the God and say, expose it all, Lord. And we know that judgment starts in the house of the Lord. And I believe the past few years we have seen judgment happen in the house of the Lord. And we say, God, you're God, not us. We trust you and we receive it. So purify your bride, Lord. Make it right. Make it holy. But God, we do lift this nation up before you. 
What's happening right now is unjust. A nation that's sexualizing children at a young age, preaching, indoctrinating. It's not right. It's unholy. It's unworthy. It is wrong. Well, technically, because of our science, because of technically, because of actually, because of problematics, because of... It's wrong. And I want, you to, I want you to know this. I want you to please hear me. I don't care, I don't care if, it feels like the whole, if the whole world says it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. We will not agree with evil. We will not. We will stand for the righteousness of God. We will stand for the innocence of our children. We will stand for their life in the womb and outside of the womb. We will call truth out again. Whether we're accepted or whether we're persecuted. Jesus says if they would have accepted me, they'd accept you. But if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. So come to terms with it. And I want, I want to say this as well. This is not controversial in the least bit. 99.9% of all of Americans, in fact, even the entire world, believes that you cannot just make up your gender on the spot. 99.9% .9 of the world, anyone who's ever living and everyone who lives now, absolutely knows that eight-year-olds should never be able to get elective surgery or puberty blockers. This isn't controversial. It's not. And anyone that says otherwise, I'm going to say this, is either extremely blind, wayward, and broken, or they know better and they're evil. Yes. It's evil. There is an evil agenda that's coming against, of course it's against children. It's always against children. With Pharaoh, it was against children. With Herod, it was against children. And today, it's against children. This is why we have remnant, that fathers might stand up. Fathers might stand up. I, I read this article. I read this article the other day about the importance of fathers, and and it was talking about a man that was a serial ped pedophile, and he would target children. They asked him, "What is it that made you target children?" He said, "I would target the ones that didn't have a father present," and and he said, "But if they had a father, I'd never go near them because I knew there'd be repercussions." Fathers should scare evil people. Fathers should scare evil people. But what can we do? We can appeal to heaven. God, you are the supreme judge. And God, there's unrighteousness in our land. And people have grown cold. And they've called evil good. And they've called good evil. But God, you are the final arbiter. You are all authority. And you are the judge. And you will not let this evil go unchallenged. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, we ask for justice to come on America, God. Turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to the children, Lord God. God, that there will not be abandonment, God, in the families, Lord. That, that the spirit of divorce will not reign over our nation, Lord God. Holy families and holy unity, Lord Jesus. That children are trained up in the way that they should go. And when they are older, they shall not depart from it. Families that know the word, love the word, love the house of the God, and love your people, Lord Jesus. And God, we ask.
ask for justice to come on all those with evil intent, Lord God. Remove their lampstand. Remove their influence, God. Remove their positions, God. And raise up godly people who love life and who love family and who love you, Lord God, that might bring up the waters of morality once again. And I even feel this in this series of virtues. It is a prophetic statement that we have not lost our virtues. Though forgotten, they are being reawakened in the name of Jesus Christ. Men and women of virtue, families of virtue, churches of virtue in the name of Jesus. God, I pray pastors remember who they are and who they're called to be. That relevance goes by the wayside and Jesus takes center stage again. God, forgive us for worshiping foolish things. We worship the Lamb, Lord. We call upon the blood of the Lamb once again to be on our families so that death might pass over. Life on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.